So here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode three of season five of the Shop Store Podcast. And we've got another Wood Dust guest joining us today. Uh, this time he's from a different time zone, though. Uh, one that's one that's a bit more tricky. He's already mentioned twice that this is earlier than he normally likes to get up. So uh, we'll, we'll see how energetic this conversation is. But all the way from the UK, I would like to welcome Matt Eslier. How are you this morning? Very good, thank you. Very good. How are you doing? Good. Is it Eslie or is it Eslier? It is going to be my first question. It's a, <laughs> so it's Eslie, but there is at least... Esley. I want to say five different variations that often happen. And that, that right. one you've just said is the, the least common. It's usually oh, Estlea, Estela, all sorts. But yeah, it's just Estela. <laughs> I think you're our, first, you're our first British guest. We haven't oh, heard really? anybody from the UK. Oh, oh sweet. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. right. Yeah. Represent. Yeah, mainly, mainly Yanks and Aussies and Kiwis. Oh, well, there you go. And we there had, go. Um, we had uh, Paul. Paul from Madet, yeah. Yeah, Madet, that's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So well, yeah, go pleasure. A good place to start is obviously to, to just for everyone who doesn't know who you are, uh, just to get a bit of an understanding of how you got to where you are now. I mean, at this stage, you've got a massive presence on YouTube, uh, a bit of a cult following, I would say, <laughs> particularly in in relation to your latest video. Uh, yeah. So just just give us a quick history tour of of how it, how you got to this point. Yeah, sure. So going right to the beginning with things, when I was in uh, secondary school, I don't know if the school structures are the same out there in the US, but secondary school is like sort of uh, 11 to 16 years old. Uh, And when I was in there, I was doing a sort of technology kind of woodworking class. And afterwards, I was planning on going to college and studying like history and astronomy and various other things. But towards the end of secondary school, we had this... um, it was a support teacher who came in and it turned out he made bespoke boxes. Um, and when... Like just on the side or was it... Was just on the side, the yeah. Curriculum? He just made okay. them in his garage. And uh, he bought one in one day. Apparently it was worth about six or seven thousand pounds, just this jewellery box. And uh, it just blew my mind when I saw it. So I was like, right, I don't... I, the only reason I'm going to this other college is because my mates are going there. Like that's that's the only reason I'm doing it. And so I decided to kind of three months before finishing secondary school and starting this college course, I dropped it all and signed up to a furniture making school uh, in Oxford. So I had to commute there uh, an hour each day. It was actually only three days a week to start with. But I did that for uh, a total of five years because I did a college course for two years. And then that progressed into a degree, which turned into three years Um And towards the end of the degree course, so about year four or so, uh, some personal circumstances just made me be like, well, I I was in a bad place. I've always wanted to do YouTube. I actually did YouTube videos growing up. Um, I watched Jackass at far too young of an age. And so I took inspiration (laughs) from that. And so (laughs) me and my friends used to watch your parents want to hear. How how many broken bones, Matt? None, actually. I've never None? broken a bone in my life, somehow, somehow. But yeah, yeah we, we used to watch their videos and then recreate them when we were younger. And so I kind of like blended this love for YouTube with this love for woodworking. And just this sort of like awful place I was in was just gave me the reason to kind of get rid of all uh, worries of judgments from other people and stuff. And I just started it, started filming in the college. So my earliest videos you'll see, uh, I was filming in a workshop with like 30 other students around, which was terrifying. Um, 
And then, just to cut a long story short, I got sponsored a workshop afterwards by Rikertwood, uh, so I started filming tutorials in there. That progressed into more kind of casual videos rather than lecture-style videos, I would say. So sort of documenting how I would go about a certain process or projects I'm making. And that's just evolved into this kind of, I mean, you'll call it a cult following. I'll say like a community sort of thing. You know, it's it, it's amazing really what people have kind of um, grasped onto over the years. Um, and I absolutely love it. I love it. Just for me, I still get so much enjoyment from just the video aspect of it. Um, like editing the video, posting it, like that's what I live for at the moment. And that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's not, that's a big nutshell, but uh, that's it. <laughs> so, so in, in, in relation to your, your videos and your video editing, something that I really picked up in the last video that you put out, um, because the, the, the first video that I saw from you was about probably about two years ago. That's when the algorithm the gods started pushing your content. And I would imagine that's when you would have seen a, a, a bit of a ramp up in your uh, yeah. popularity. So the, the last regular content of yours that I was watching was a couple of years ago. And then this latest video with your shop move, the, the difference in, in quality in terms of the videos is just unreal. I get the impression that you either just have a, a love for video editing or there's a little bit of, was there any, and, and I don't think you mentioned it now, but was there any any studying involved there or, or did you do any um, uh, courses outside of, of uni that might have helped you along the way? Because you're, it's such a fluid uh, the storytelling. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. I mean, so for me, like the biggest compliment I get is when someone compliments my editing. So thank you. <laughs> like the woodwork, and I think I've done it long enough now. It's like, yeah, all right, I've heard that before. But editing's like, so thank you. Um so in terms of editing, the only uh, formal tuition I've had is when I first started um, sort of filming videos. I went on a quick five-day crash course to learn Premiere Pro, and that was just sort of learn what the buttons do. In terms of storytelling, um, that has just been something that I've refined over the years. Um, in fact, I actually made a hard transition into this kind of style of storytelling when I did the video Living in the Workshop. Um during covid uh, a couple of years ago because um i was just sort of like i wasn't fond of my style of editing um didn't really enjoy it and i was just like i'm gonna do something different and so i did it did this like crazy weird intro and i remember a couple of my friends watching they're like are you sure people are gonna like this i'm like i don't know but it was fun to make i'm gonna post it um and yeah people it went down so well so i did a whole stint of videos that year i did um uh, changing an Amazon Basics plane into a sort of Lee Nielsen quality plane. I broke a dovetail speed uh, run record, so I cut a dovetail as fast as I could. Um, there was like this commission I did for a viewer. All sorts of videos that year were sort of piggybacked off this editing style. And I, it, took, it takes so long to get the videos together, but I absolutely love it. Um, my favourite one of all is the dovetail speed run record. Um, but it's just something that was like, it has been refined over time. I've watched a few tips here and there on YouTube of how to tell stories. And, um, I actually went on a YouTube course recently with a kind of YouTube, um, strategist consultant kind of thing to, um, kind of put more intention behind what I put in videos. Cause there is a lot of fluff. Sometimes there's a lot of like unnecessary stuff there and, 
it's more like how can we optimize it to be like as enjoyable as possible on the main channel and then any extra fluff that people still enjoy can we ship that can we ship that off to the second channel instead and have that as like a community building platform uh, and then have the main storytelling kind of general audience stuff on the main one um so that was really good but mostly it's been self-taught and sort of shaped by myself over the years you can definitely see the progression that you're talking about. Like, I am the least content content makery out of the three hosts on this podcast. So Joey and Robin have really big profiles. I do a video, what do you reckon, Robin, once every two years? <laughs> and it's basically just making one piece just to show the clients or to show it, uh, exhibitions or trade shows of how the piece was made. But I don't watch that many YouTube makers. And the ones that I do watch have to have a sense of personality in them. Mm-hmm. And I think your videos really, well, I don't know, I don't know you because I've never met you, but I can, I can pick up in the type of person you are. I get a sense mm-hmm. of humor out of them. I laugh with them and I look forward, like they're one of the few videos that I actually look forward to getting a notification for. So oh. uh, you've hooked me in uh, anyway, but I love the sense of fun. I love, the, I've, I've got a personal hatred for river tables. So fuck it. I love I love your approach to it that it was just yeah not only poking fun at it but poking fun at it in a I'm going to I'm going to do a really serious project but in the most ridiculous way possible. So if people yeah. have not watched uh, the River Table, I can highly recommend it. Yeah, that one was a, a really fun video to do. I mean, so like videos for me are a bit of a release, I would say. I think that's why I kind of love them so much because there is this like you know, it shows my personality a lot and for me it's like it's weirdly it's so much easier for me to show my personality in videos and stuff like that than it even is in person I'm actually quite like people meet me and they're like you're a lot more reserved than like you come across on camera and I just I don't Mm. know videos for me are a release I enjoy making them um and it's just funny to see what situations I somehow find myself in like that river table one like when the table snapped in half and things like that like just how things like that happen and how I have to somehow find like find a way to recover from it. It's just so fun um, and just hilarious to watch back on as well, like having this documented history of all the sort of mishaps I've had over the years. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Uh, but I, I, I think it, what's really commendable is, though, that it's definitely easier to put your own personality into project videos, I think. Like, I find that quite simple. But to do it into instructionals and to make them fun and engaging um, is really, really hard. And I think things like the, the dovetail record, it was just such a... How, how nobody had really thought of doing it before and the way yeah. you approached it. Talk us, talk us through how that came about. Like, did somebody, did somebody tell you what the dovetail record was or was it, was it out there in YouTube land as a come and, come and break this? So I was actually chatting to um, my friend about this yesterday. So that that video, um, firstly, the context of it is Rob Cosman, another woodworker based out in uh, Canada. That's right. Yeah. Um, he cut a two, uh, three and a half minute dovetail about 10, 12 years ago or something like that. And it went, it did the rounds on YouTube, did really well. Uh, and he sort of, that was probably what his reputation was kind of built off. Like that is the foundation of it. And he's a brilliant woodworker. So that's always been ticking away in the back of the in back of my mind. And when I was editing videos that year, I came across this bit of music 
that really tense, like heavy rock. Um, and it just had this like amazing build in it. And it, this like subconscious link just happened where it was like that music cutting a dovetail as fast as possible. That sounds stressful. Let's do that. <laughs> and so <laughs> the whole video, uh, sorry, the, the whole uh, record at the end, that music behind it, that really tense, like rock music, that was what sparked that whole video. And then the rest, we just built around it. Um, so the whole challenge was legit. It was like actually based off Rob Cosman and all the things I went through and all the failed attempt. I went through so much wood. I've got a lot of um, negative comments on it. Like trees died for this. <laughs> like well they were burnt they went to warm an old person's home or something like that but it was like yeah that that's basically where the inspiration from that came from and it was the most fun i've ever had filming a video because a lot of it also was live streamed we were doing daily live streams at the time and so people were watching me live do these attempts and so there was like actual little bits of interaction between me and a live audience in that video as well. Um, so it was got, that on YouTube or on Twitch? That was on YouTube um, at YouTube, the time. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's a whole other thing. Try and do live tri- uh, daily live streams and that, but yeah, um, it was just this brilliant video, really fun to edit, really fun to film, and yeah, it was great. And it's the record's actually since been beaten by one of my viewers as well. Bastards. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> so I gave, I actually put like a prize up for it. I think it was like a knife and uh, maybe a saw. Oh, the actual saw that I used in the dovetail challenge. I gave them that as a uh, uh, prize for it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Go, going back to the your your history, you talked about you studied and then you got onto the YouTube bandwagon. You're obviously doing commissions on on what sounds like on the side is YouTube the core of your business or is it commissions and you make videos about it? So I, with commissions, this is actually a um, uh, misconception people have. I don't actually do, I was about to say that many commissions. I don't do commissions whatsoever. So my, the, my history as well as the college course and, um, uh, you know, the YouTube jackass background and things like that. I actually started working at um, a tool shop in the UK called Axminster Tools and Machinery. They sell all the Lee Nielsen tools, Veritas, um, probably very similar to various um, tool stores out there in um, Australia. So I worked with them for five years um, simultaneously while studying the course. So the course gave me this kind of uh, sort of practical knowledge of tools and Axminster gave me this very strong theoretical kind of knowledge of tools. And so as I kind of uh, started developing this YouTube channel and things, people were noticing tools that I'd made myself um, and tools that I'd actually purchased from Axminster as well. And this whole like kind of premium tools um, kind of thing came as like a sort of underlying thing on the channel. Like he uses nice tools, he makes nice tools. And so for me the main source of my income is actually from making and selling tools to other woodworkers. Um, I also sell digital plans and things like that. Um, and you know, obviously general merchandise and stuff. So I don't do commissions and that was actually the reason I, one of the many reasons I got into YouTube as well, because when I was 
at the college, we used to have talks from industry professionals and the underlying message of all of them was that you never get to make what you want to make. You're always working to the spec of an interior designer or something like that. And like, it's always MDF. You're always putting MDF through a panel saw or through a table saw and lipping it and stuff. And I'm like, I've just, I've just put five years of my life into this course. I've put my uh, £27,000 worth of debt on this uni course. And you're telling me that this is all I have to look forward to. Smashing. All right, great, brilliant. (laughs) So I was just like, um, I, I, I should say that wasn't all of them. We had a few good talks from some really like, uh, inspirational, um, optimistic people, I should say, like there was a maker in, um, furniture maker in the UK called Alice blog who gave this amazing, um, sort of optimistic talk. And she was like, she re- she acknowledged the, uh, kind of like, yeah, sometimes you're at the workshop until 11 or 12 at night. And sometimes like I've had friends around and we order pizza to the workshop while I'm working. And I remember us all being like, God, that's, that's a bit weird. Like, imagine working that late at work and now kind of having, doing that myself and actually ordering pizza to the workshop with my friends and stuff. It's like, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Like, it, you know, it, work doesn't have to be clocking in at nine and out, um, out at five every single day. Like, just work to your own hours if you enjoy it and be there. And like, that was the sort of spark that Alice Blog gave me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, basically YouTube has been revolved around that. So the tool commissions, because um, at the end of the day, I make videos for woodworkers. And so it's very hard to sell handmade furniture to woodworkers and make a living out there. It actually makes more sense to um, focus on the tool side of things, which is both a good sort of income for me. And I love it. I love making tools. I'm an absolute nerd about them. Old tools, new tools, ones that I've made. It's so much fun just developing and learning how to make them. So that's where the majority of my income comes from on the channel. It's making the tools. And then you've obviously got the sort of YouTube AdSense, affiliate sales, a few donations, website sales and stuff like that. Um, It's a bit of a mixed bag. The the purchase of the van, which I'm I'm sure we're going to get into, you sold a thousand knives. Is that right? Yeah, so that was I. I didn't actually sell a thousand. So you made I, a thousand. No, I didn't even make a thousand. So I bought uh, the the mechanisms that I um, that I make them out of. I get those CNC yep. down in the south of England, and I bought a thousand of them. And the start of the video, when I filmed the intro, laying on the table, surrounded by all this hardware, I was like, "This is a thousand marking knives." Now, as I was going through the video. Mm. It turns out that making a thousand marking knives is actually really hard. Like, <laughs> so in the end, I actually only made four hundred and fifty. But I already Lazy had the intro. Bastards. I already had the intro, <laughs> surrounded by all this hardware, and I didn't have enough to kind of make that cool intro again. So I was like, oh, it looks better as a title, like a thousand. So I'll just do that. Um, That's creative liberties. You can take them. Exactly, exactly. So no, I didn't quite make a thousand, but uh, four hundred and fifty or so were made, uh, and they were sold overnight, pretty much, which was insane. Did, did you have wow. permanent nerve damage in the end of your fingers after making my neck? My neck. neck. Yeah, looking yeah. down at the lathe all day, every day, uh, sanding. Um, I remember having like shoulder pains as well, just from like sanding. 
on the lathe because it's like I had my lathe is slightly too high. So like it was in my traps, like having my shoulder kind of elevated and oh man, it was rough. And I obviously poisoned myself with the um, the sort of toxic wood dust one time as well and off fumes from cellulose sanding sealer because it was such a small workshop and I was being an idiot. Um, yeah, man, that was a <laughs> good times that. So that was in your that was in your old workshop, which was your first workshop, correct? Yeah, I mean, so I had I had the workshop sponsored to me by the college, and then um, that was in one building for one year, and then the workshop that I filmed the majority of my videos in was this um, the one that you're talking about, the one that I made. Yeah, the one with the mezzanine floor, and yeah, yeah, I was there for about four years or so, four and a half, I think. That's what I said in the last video. Yeah, four and a half years I was in that one for. The uh, the move out video and the emotions of it. I'm probably gonna have to move out of MySpace this year. And when you were nearly in tears, I'm like, fucking stop it! Don't make me cry. Don't make yeah. me think about moving out. Don't make me think about it. <laughs> Man, it is rough. Yeah. Like the connections oh, we make gosh. to just a, a shell of a building that's often not the most comfortable place in the world. Don't know about yours, but mine was cold, freezing dusty. cold, boiling hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's miserable. Oh man, it's that was tough. That I mean, I think throughout the whole thing, I was just in a trance, like just kind of getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. It was only at the end. Mm. Yeah, obviously what I filmed on camera, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like four and a half years. Pause and take it in. Yeah, Yeah, tons of memories. And I was like, it's things like that. It's like, oh, I don't want to put this out on YouTube. Like, it's quite... Uh, I'm so glad you did. I don't think it came across as lame at all, honestly. It felt very, very authentic. Um, And I reckon anybody that's been moved out of a space by a landlord or something has had a similar feeling yeah yeah it was uh thank you it was a tricky time (laughs) a hard time and and Um, you'd actually lived in the workshop during covid right yeah yeah i had this sort of weird in between with uh tenancies where uh because i'm in rented accommodation one of my tenancies ended and there was this 10-day period um where like my new one didn't start and like don't get me wrong i had offers from friends i had offer from family i could have stayed with my girlfriend's family who was i think 15 minutes uh down the road at the time i could have stayed with them but i like the challenge content you know <laughs> <laughs> so talking about the, the the workshop so you are you've obviously moved into your new workshop but i assume you haven't moved in in its finality this is still an ongoing process how far along are you? No, so we actually filmed the official workshop tour yesterday. So oh, I, am, right, right. I, cool. I think I should say I am officially moved in now, and that's six Ooh. months later. Um, that there is, I still need to do the dust extraction, ducting, and stuff like that. But ninety nine percent of the way there, and like I think, as both of you know, and anyone listening, you never truly move into a space. There's always something that needs to get done. So like I'm calling it done for now. And we'll just sort of tinker with the rest of it uh, from here on. But yeah, officially done. Workshop tour filmed yesterday. Um, I've got one more video coming out as of recording this, uh, where it's like sort of building up the space. And then the workshop tour will be after that. How are you feeling about that video, the workshop tour? I mean, I, I guess you have really built the workshop move into your into your entire like the the idea of your channel is now is hinged around a move but traditionally woodworking tour or, or workshop tour videos 
can go south because they're seen as a bit of a filler video. Yeah. Are you confident that this one's going to be a winner? One of the things that I've been really worried about is not necessarily the video itself, but the, um, I mean, I've seen it countless times uh, where it's like a kind of alienation with viewers, uh, where like all of a sudden small characterful, characterful, a workshop full of character, Um, (laughs) (laughs) like relatable space. Um, all of a sudden you go from that to this kind of big industrial clinical kind of, uh, workshop that for a lot of people, I mean, I can think of a few people off the top of my head that, that for a few creators has like shocked viewers out of, um, watching their channel. Cause it's kind of like, Oh, it's not the same. It's not, um, you know, it's not relatable anymore. Uh, all sorts of things. Um, and so I've been more conscious about that side of things. I've been really, really, uh, it, you know, that's why this office is so like, well, uh, so homely. I've put like so much effort into, um, like making it feel the same or as similar as possible to the old workshop, full of character, um, like nicely decorated, still kind of, I, I wouldn't say it looks relatable, but it's still like me it's still like a reflection of me in this space because when I moved in, it was just this cavernous kind of big industrial polished floor, like not a great representation. So I've put OSB up on the walls um, and I've reconstructed like the set and things like that um, to try and make it relatable. So I'm, I'm more worried about that kind side of things. And so that's kind of what I am. Yeah, I'm just trying to work around that primarily. Make sure that people still feel like I am a, um, you know, I don't know, a good person to watch. Uh, it's not relatable. It's just like I have I, I haven't changed. Like it's just more space to do bigger things um, and get a little bit more. I don't know if the pro- word professional is the word to use because I think that's a bit of a stretch for me. But like you know, just take it a bit more seriously because the other workshop I had outgrown that at least two years ago. I should have moved all the way back mm. then, but just circumstances and all that didn't allow me to. And even this time, it was a little bit of a shot in the dark. It's not been the smoothest landing. I mean, money is going down the drain with this van that really doesn't bring in a lot of income and it is a big expense. Like, all of a sudden, this kind of relaxed kind of attitude that I had in the old workshop is just like, I've got my feet to the fire now. Um, but that's what I needed. That's what I needed. So we're just rolling with it. What's the difference in the floor space of the old shop compared to the new one? Uh, we worked it out. So I think the old workshop, 450 square foot. Do you guys use Imperial or Metric out there? Metric. Metric. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what we use here. But what, it's about three times bigger or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I'll let you do the maths. Uh, so four, 450 square foot was the old workshop. 600 yeah. square feet if you include the mezzanine floor this one yeah. is just over 2000 so oh, yeah, about nice. four times the size um yeah. in fact just the main machining area itself that i've got the bandsaw planer sanders and power tools in that alone is just twice the size of the uh old workshop so it's a, an amazing space i can park the entire van in there when i'm working on it uh, so, like, I'm not mm. subject to the wind and rain and all this other stuff that I had to deal with in the old workshop. Um, it's a that brilliant must space. Be huge. Oh, that mate. must be such a, a different different ball game. No more muddy feet. 
putting skylights in a van while it's raining is not the smartest move. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't raining when I started, and then it started tipping it down. So. And did, yeah. the, did the fact that you're saying you outgrew the smaller workshop, do you think that's what made you gravitate towards smaller projects? Or is it in your nature to be interested in more compact and detailed things rather than larger pieces? Like, was it, did it come from seeing the box maker, like the teacher that you're saying? That inspired you at the start? Yeah, I mean, part of the the sort of I did really like that old workshop, and it did suit my style of uh, making. Because yeah, you're right, I do like making smaller, kind of more intricate things. But then there was the occasional circumstance, like the river table, where it's this huge dining table, and it takes up the one bit of floor space in my workshop that I needed to that I could, you know, stand at. So it's this huge project. It made it so much slower just to try and flip the thing over and work between the top and the bottom. So a little bit of moving was like um, necessity and it just gives me a bit more freedom to do those bigger projects, hopefully a little bit more optimally. Um, and like with regards to the... Um, I, I want to start looking into hiring people soon. So getting a video editor, hopefully getting someone to help make um, tools and... Um, you know, just get things running a little bit more smoothly. So it's not all hinged on me. And um, the old workshop was just not a good place for even to get visitors in. I had no, I didn't even have means of making tea in there because I had no running water. The one time I made tea, I had to do it from the garden tap outside, <laughs> which as a Brit, very professional, unacceptable yeah. in England or Ireland. Yeah, I know, Camp. I know. It was with some of the older generation as well. So they were super critical about it. <laughs> yeah. so yeah it was sort of necessity i would say uh, the um the van fit out have you ever have you ever done a van before or have you lived in a van or what nope. what N- never nope another shot in the dark okay. another shot in the dark okay. never never done a van but i've always wanted a reason to learn electrics 12 volt and 230 volt 240 volt i don't even know but electrics i've always wanted a reason to learn that maybe not so much plumbing but like doing a van conversion firstly it's like a smaller scale house project so you learn a lot of domestic wiring and stuff like that um and it's just like the only way it works is if you do it and so you have to you have to learn it whereas if i've just sat down before and been like i'm gonna learn electrics i'm gonna learn circuitry sure enough you get to the point where something doesn't make sense and it's like Ah, oh, just do woodworking. Do woodworking. There's no, there's no reason. There's no reason to learn it. So it's like that's been the biggest kind of thing I've got from that van, um, but never done it before. Never done it. Yeah, the skills you'll learn along the way, are just yeah, and you're going to keep those for the rest of your life. So when yeah. when you need them, they're there. Oh, yeah. it's un- it's unlocked so many um, so many ideas for videos in like it, with regards to woodworking so like all of a sudden oh i can Im- implement 12 volt electrics into some woodworking projects like mechanisms and lights and all these other things where it's you know people will be listening to this and they're like that's so simple 12 volt wiring i have no i had absolutely no idea I didn't even know how to wire a plug yes they taught it in school i've forgotten it and every time i did try and learn it i would forget it again like now having gone through the I'm not even at that process yet, but all the research, I've got loads of books behind me here uh, based on electrics. Like I just, I never learned it, never had a reason to learn it. And now this is, this is finally there. I'm just a little bit later to the game compared to some people. Yeah. So the, 
One of the reasons we are um, setting up this podcast is Matt is coming out to Australia later this year in May, uh, which we're already in. I've just checked the the the, uh, the date, so it is it is oh, yeah. three week three weeks away. Yeah, you're coming out to Wood Dust Twenty Three, which is going to be in Melbourne, and um, we're going to get to meet you in person, which is super exciting. Uh, so we're going to, after this recording, we're actually going to do a bit of promo work with, with Matt and we're going to do some filming. Uh, but just just in a nutshell, um, it, have you been to Australia before? I have been to Australia before. Um, I'm not very good with dates. I can't remember when. I was quite young. But um, I've got family out there who live in Sydney. Um, I can't. It's some weird connection. It's like my nan's brother's family. I don't know what that makes it. But yeah, they're based, they're sort of scattered throughout Sydney. So we went and met them. Um, we are in Sydney for a week. Then we went up to Brisbane and then we were up in Cairns and then flew back to Sydney for a couple of days before flying home. So I think I did three weeks out there in total and loved it. Okay. Loved it. Yeah. Well, it's, um, we're, we're obviously, we're super excited about this. Your, your videos that you've been posting on um, Instagram, uh, <laughs> they definitely... Make me think that you are excited as well. I did like your little tagline. How many times did I say excited during <laughs> this uh, during this video? Um, yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be a very very exciting show. In in terms of what you are hoping to bring to the event, have you thought about that much, or are you just going to wing it while we when we get there? I feel like I kind of perform a little bit best when I wing stuff. Generally, I mean, you know. Obviously, I'm going to try and understand the parameters of what I actually need to do when I'm there rather than wing the whole thing. But really, like, being slightly sleep-deprived, delirious, winging it, as long as I'm being, you know, conscious around machines and stuff, the rest will be absolutely fine. Um, Entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Winging it should be absolutely fine. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. There's all sorts of people out there who I've never met before, people who I... Um, have always wanted to meet people who I have met before who I'm going to get an opportunity to meet up again with. Like, um, it's a crazy opportunity. It's crazy. Can, can I ask, can I ask projects wise? What, what's the next thing you want to make? So we've got a couple of ideas. First one, if we're going on project route, my drill bit storage at the moment is an utter catastrophe. I just throw them all in drawers. They're all banging against each other, forcing the bits, um, wood cutting bits, metal cutting bits, like all in one drawer. So this kind of relates to the 12 volt wiring side of things. I want to do a drill bit cabinet that, you know, it's obviously it's got LED lights in it. That's a nice easy one. But I want to have it so when you open the doors, the shelves kind of like slightly tilt forward. So there's, the drill bits are stored upright and they tilt forward at maybe 30 degrees. So it makes it easier to, uh, to take them out. And I don't know if you have those... Um, like parking garages or whatever in in Australia where above each bay is a green light if it's available. But if yeah, there's yeah, a car yeah. in yep. there, it turns red. So I want to have yep. that. Every drill bit has a green light above it. If you take it out, it turns red. And then you can... Like it. I don't know why, because you, you can easily see that the drill bit's missing. It's probably easier <laughs> to see that than the light. But I think what about, just as, what, about, what about automating it? So if it's a red light for more than a day, there's a $10 fine that comes out of your bank account or someone goes to charity because <laughs> I am oh, the man. worst at not putting drill bits back to. Yeah, I'll say, well, that's the reason for it. They're just all chucked to the yeah. drawer. I don't know what I have. I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know what I've swept up. Like, it's, it's a nightmare. So 
yeah, that's kind of the reason for it. But again, it's sort of the reason to implement a bit of electrics and <clears throat> test myself a bit. That can be a huge winner because when, when you get to take your woodworking video and push it into the technology space yeah. on YouTube, that's massive. I did a video a while ago where I put a wireless charger into a, a, a bedside table. Mm-hmm. So it was hidden in the bedside table. And that video did so exponentially well compared to the rest of my videos. And I, I believe it's just because it was, there was a bit of uh, you know, computers, technology, electronics, that kind of thing involved because it opens up a whole new space and a space that is very big and, and a lot of people are interested in. Does that video still go, Robin? No, that, I'm still a little bitter about that video because <laughs> that video, I got to the front page of Reddit with that video and oh, it just nice. tanked on and it tanked on YouTube. So everyone watched it on Reddit and I thought, right, here we go. Now they're all gonna follow me onto you and no, they didn't. It just <laughs> stopped stopped at Reddit. So I have this amazing accolade of getting to the front page of Reddit and then it just <laughs> I wonder how much of that is down to the fact like technology does sort of you know, it's an exciting, shiny new thing and then it kinda taper or tapers off again. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, being able to, I mean, the first person who implements some sort of like AI user sort of, you know, speech interface into furniture, like that's going to pop off. It's going to pop off. But yep. well, yeah. Well, wasn't it uh, make something? Um, oh, my word. I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Oh, David. Uh, Jimmy. Um, da- what's his surname? David Picciuto? Picciuto, yeah. Dave Picciuto, yeah. Um, probably about a month ago he did a video where an ai developed and designed a project for him yep. which i thought was a really interesting so i think that's sort of what you're saying it's people not jumping on that bandwagon but let's let's implement it and see how interesting this makes it yeah you need to i mean trend jacking like that that's that apart from anything like yes it could be a little bit sellout but it also gets more eyes to woodworking you're opening as many people as many woodworkers eyes to ai as you are ai enthusiasts to woodworking like it is a kind of beneficial exchange i would say it's probably just more mm. ai people seeing woodworking i suppose but yeah it is a beneficial thing um it's super exciting all that i love it like that that um image generator he used mid journey for it mid journey yeah oh it's so fun it's so mm-hmm. fun like it's brilliant just for thumbnail kind of concepts and just messing around like pink panda shooting something i don't know like it just creates it without <laughs> hesitation it's brilliant that's I'd, a it's a subs- subscription model to get onto it isn't it you got five or ten free searches i think yeah um and i'd encourage anyone to mess around with it it's so fun it's a little bit of weird to get onto it because it's on discord but yeah i mean i'm i'm like uh uh inches away from getting the subscription just so i can permanently mess around with it but i think adobe are bringing out one as well very soon so that might be included in subscription models thumbnail generation i mean if you can find a winning product there that's going to pay for itself very quickly oh yes oh yeah that's that's like that was one of the biggest things i learned from this course i went on recently like the amount of effort you actually need to put into a thumbnail i was like yeah I the, science, the science of a thumbnail Oh, it's mad. Well, it's like, mm. you know, you put people put all this effort into a video and then at the very end, they're like, what's the thumbnail or what's the title? Mm. And it's like, if people don't click, if that thumbnail and title isn't captivating enough, then your whole video that you've put days and 
whatever effort into it's never going to be watched anyway so actually like what a lot of people do is they'll figure out okay what's the title and what's the thumbnail first before even filming the video because then that that kind of qualifies whether the video is good or not um mm-hmm. which i was just mind-blowing it's like you you're working backwards but it's like no you're actually so backwards yeah it's crazy so you do a ton of idea generation you come up with a few good ideas which one of these make a good thumbnail um and then you sort of yeah you discard other ones i'm like damn like that's so weird so and i, I think reckon, a balance i've kind is, of heard yeah. of similar it didn't martin scorsese i can't remember whether it was gangs in new york or it might, no it might have been an earlier movie he uh basically oh, it was casino he had the soundtrack before he'd filmed the scenes in the movie. Oh, right. So they dictated the tempo of the scenes. Yeah, do you know what? I heard of this recently as well. Uh, if we were chatting about it yesterday. Again, this is the second time I've referenced this. It's like deja vu almost. But yeah, so like we were saying, when if you know the music beforehand, if you have that kind of subtly playing in the background when you're filming the scenes, you know the kind of tone to speak in. You know sort of what words to use and what pacing. Um, I hadn't thought mm. of that before, so it's funny that you bring it up again. That's like mm. really being drilled into my mind now. Yeah, well, you mentioned it earlier with the the dovetails. Yeah, how the how the the, the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. But that know, was, video, yeah. Would that have, would that have helped or hindered though having that playing well, in the background? That's the thing. So that was the inspiration for the video. But oh, if I had that playing while doing it, <laughs> whoo! <laughs> <No. laughs> Man, that would have been stressful. Cool. All right. Well, we are we're coming up to time. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's let's call it here. So for everyone who wants to to look you up, Matt Eslier on Instagram and YouTube, just search the name Matt Eslier and they'll find you. Yep, Is that that's it? it. I'm on Twitter as well. I occasionally put rubbish on there, but yeah, uh, YouTube and Instagram primarily. Cool. All right, and thanks again for coming on. Really do appreciate it. This is been great for everyone listening. This has really come together quite quickly. Matt's been super helpful, uh, and. Uh, because there's a lot of promo going on for the Wood Dust event. This has all happened a lot quicker than all of us expected. So, yeah, thank you, Matt. Really appreciate you being flexible. Joey is going to be raging that he missed this. Yeah, he was looking forward to it. <laughs> he was really looking forward yeah. to it. I'll catch up with him in Australia, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so with, with, with that in mind, just one more plug. Uh, 20th and 21st of May, you can come see Matt in Melbourne at the Meat Markets for Wood Dust 23. Um, as he's just said, he will be in Australia for that. So we look forward to, to shaking your hand in person and buying you a, a proper Australian beer. Lovely, lovely. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, Matt, take care. We'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Matt. Thanks, bye.